Hello, everyone. You're listening to a new episode of the Salon Podcast series. My name is Annalise Varellen, and I want to thank you very much for tuning in. I know it's been quite some time since I created a new episode, so first and foremost, I want to express my gratitude to those of you who are still around listening to my podcast. So thank you very much, first of all. Today, we will be doing things a little bit differently. So today we are not looking or studying a woman artist. Instead, we will be delving into the history of one of Europe's most influential art patrons, Isabella Clara Eugenia, the daughter of King Philip II of Spain. Her influence on the Baroque art produced in the early modern period is absolutely remarkable. Her connections to various courts around Europe and her ties to some of the most successful and most sought-after artists of her time must be heard. Isabella's role as a sponsor of art production includes many intriguing stories, and I would like to present some of those to you today. So let's get started. So in the past few episodes, we've always discussed women artists, so women as the producers of art in the early modern period. But today, I thought it would be kind of fun to look at the other side of the art market in the early modern period. So we've kind of looked at what is being supplied and what is created, but I think today it could be fun to discuss the demand. Namely, who is consuming, who is buying, who is interacting with the art, and specifically, how are women doing this in the early modern period? So I think it's vital that perhaps I say a little bit about what it means to be a patron of the art. What does that mean? So to be a patron of the art, it means that you commission an artist, you pay an artist, to produce a very specific kind of art completely tailored to your needs and your wants. For example, if you have a private chapel in the early modern period, you have a private chapel and you would like to have this really magnificent altarpiece hung above your altar, and you would very much like your family members, your children, your husband, yourself, to be portrayed in that altarpiece as bystanders of the scene to kind of elevate your social status in one go. So what you would do is you would, you would pick an artist that you think could capture your requirements, that could, could fulfill that kind of style that you are looking for. And so you create this and you establish this really close relationship with an artist because ultimately they are portraying you and you would very much like to be portrayed in a preferably like a favorable way. So with being a patron comes this responsibility and this duty to create a very close relationship with the artist. And with that also comes a certain degree of power that you can exercise over the art market. You very much can decide what is being put on the market by asking an artist to create specifically tailored art. So yes, this is what it means to be a patron of the arts. So now let's delve into 
Isabella Clara Eugenia and how she embodied the role as a very influential patron of the art. Archduchess Isabella Clara Eugenia exercised an unprecedented degree of power as a female Habsburg ruler in the early 17th century. The Spanish princess governed the Spanish Netherlands as a quasi-sovereign from 1599 with her husband Archduke Albrecht of Austria until he died in 1621. When she became a widow, Archduchess Isabella lost a significant amount of power as King Philip IV of Spain demoted her to Governor General of the Spanish Netherlands, thereby subordinating her to the Spanish crown so she could no longer exercise her own will over the Spanish Netherlands. She now had to work on behalf of the Spanish crown and exercise their will. As a result, she no longer controlled the war budget and had no authority over domestic or foreign policies. And despite these new limitations imposed on her constitutional power, the Archduchess continued to successfully legitimize and solidify her political authority. She achieved this through strategic artistic commissions that emphasized and highlighted her devotion to a deeply pious life. Her generous donation of a tapestry series to the Spanish convent of La Descalzas Reales and remarkable religious portraits demonstrate that the Archduchess employed art to express and justify her power in collaboration with her dear friend and court painter, Peter Paul Rubens. Her highly strategic dedication to religious patronage and religious self-fashioning not only fulfilled society's expectation of a widow at that time, but also provided her with an acceptable means of justifying her authority without an heir or a husband. While the Archduchess participated in a long-standing tradition of Habsburg women who asserted their agency and authority through patronage of the arts, Isabella's status as a childless widow presents a highly unique case in this tradition. As the only Habsburg women to marry and remain childless, the widowed princess pushed the boundaries of women's acceptable methods of visual self-representation to assert, solidify, and strengthen her authority. Before we examine the history of the Archduchess's patronage, I think it could be really helpful and interesting to trace kind of the origins of her admiration for the arts and analyze how she learned the power of art, how it can help you shape public perception. Born into Europe's most powerful, longest reigning family, Isabella grew up in an environment that actively encouraged the patronage of the arts to achieve political goals. Isabella's Habsburg ancestors also commissioned works of art from foreign artists to mark their military achievements as defenders of the Catholic faith, for example. 
especially within Isabella's contemporary context of the Counter-Reformation, which sought to reinstall a reformed Catholicism within Western Europe in response to rising criticisms of church abuses, art had become a very powerful tool to educate and remind the public of Catholicism's social importance. Isabella's father, King Philip II, recognized this too as his significant art collection suggests that he too understood that images not only represent authority, they possess authority. And as such, he commissioned Europe's leading painters at that time, such as Titian, to help popularize the Catholic faith again. Surrounded by the collections of art assembled by her father, King Philip II, the young Isabella not only learned to acquire a refined taste, but also recognized art ability to shape the public's perception of religion, for example. Isabella learned at a very young age that to invest in the arts means to reap the rewards of having an active control over the public's access to carefully curated ideas regarding your identity as a leader, your religion, and your politics. Because Isabella witnessed how her father, King Philip II, employed court painters to carefully curate the public's perception of his political endeavors, the young princess learned that making, collecting, and gifting art provides numerous political advantages. Not only did her father teach her how art can fulfill a vital political role, but her female Habsburg predecessors and relatives taught her important lessons on the power of art as well. And here, it is crucial to note that women in the Habsburg Empire wielded considerable political power at the Habsburg courts by manipulating established courtly networks through strategic patronage of the arts. Furthermore, Habsburg women exchanged, commissioned, and collected artworks to not only determine their individual political and cultural self-definition, but also that of their male consorts. So the women in the Habsburg family really took on this role of patrons of the arts to not only solidify their own public image, but also that of their husbands and their heirs. Material culture at the Habsburg courts played an extremely vital role in women's legitimization and solidification of authority. Barred from the executive powers reserved for the Habsburg men, the women employed their patronage to resist gender subordination and craft empowerment. Let's take a brief detour and take a quick look at some of the Habsburg women that went before Isabella to kind of give you an idea of the long-standing history of material culture and women asserting their authority and agency at the Habsburg court. Margaret of Austria, Joanna of Austria, and Mary of Hungary all set precedents for Princess Isabella by instrumentalizing patronage to consciously shape and perfect a public image without overstepping the boundaries that were set for them through social expectations of a lady of virtue. 
Isabella's aunt, Joanna of Austria, for example, worked extremely hard to establish an appropriate public perception of her person that emphasized her authority as a leader and her deep piety as a Catholic. In 1554, for example, she commissioned the construction of a convent in Madrid called the Descalzas Reales. Here, she displayed her art collection in, in this convent, she displayed artworks she had bought along with those she had inherited from her mother. The Portuguese princess's decision to display her art collection within such a religious space, also under her patronage, presents a strategic method of portraying yourself as not only a champion of the arts, but also as a devout Catholic. Through this patronage, Joanna of Austria shaped her public image through a combined emphasis on art and religion, which were two realms accessible to and acceptable for women to occupy in the early modern period. By commissioning the convent, Joanna of Austria demonstrated her devotion to Catholicism and highlighted her dedication to her assigned role as a woman in the Habsburg family to be a devout defender to the faith in which art played a vital role. Joanna of Austria, therefore, set an important example for her niece of how Habsburg women can instrumentalize their patronage to actively control and define their identity and authority towards the public. So now that we've kind of discussed an example of one of Isabella's female predecessors at the Habsburg court and their instrumentalization of art, it is important to assess whether Isabella copied or challenged Habsburg women's traditional use of art. A combined examination of Isabella's portrait which reflect how the princess wished to represent her person to the public, in addition to the art she commissioned to adorn the Descalzas Reales convent in Madrid, will represent valuable evidence of the remarkable evolution within her patronage as a leader. When examining the portraits of Isabella, it becomes clear that as her political roles and titles changed throughout her life, so did her preferred self-representation. The Archduchess image of herself directly mirrors the important life changes she underwent, which subsequently pose a reflection of her changing political authority. Now let's look at Isabella's history. Before she acquired significant political power as a married sovereign over the Spanish Netherlands, the princess's portraits prior to her marriage highlight the idealized qualities expected from young single noblewomen. The Spanish painter Alonso Sanchez Cuello painted a full-length portrait of the 22-year-old Isabella, for example. And in this portrait, 
Isabella demonstrates and perfects the qualities that were expected of a young noble woman. She portrays youthful beauty, religious devotion, and elegance. In this portrait, Isabella wears a dress heavily embroidered with gold thread, a high collar with delicate lace trim, and a feathered headdress, which corresponds to Spanish fashion in the mid to late 1580s. Dressed in the latest fashion, the young Isabella presents herself as a modern, sophisticated young lady. Additionally, the portrait's emphasis on Isabella's fair skin, rosy cheeks, high forehead, and modern dress matches the period standards of conventional beauty. To further emphasize her royal identity, the princess represented herself with a loyal servant. Dated between 1585 and 1588, the painter Coelho executed this portrait when Isabella's father, King Philip II, continued to look for an appropriate match for his favorite daughter. Isabella's single status appears particularly prominent here in this portrait as she is holding a small miniature portrait of her father, King Philip II, in her right hand. Strategically positioned at the center of the portrait, the very presence of Isabella's father's image in her portrait indicates a motif that has been interpreted as indicating her dependency on her father. This strong, undeniable visual reference to her subordination as a young woman to her father's protection and supervision further confirms Isabella's identity as an unmarried woman. As a result, this portrait suggests that the young Isabella possessed little independent agency or authority. The presence of the small yet telling portrait of her father has a shielding effect on Isabella's expression of her individuality, for it implies that her father's role as a protector lies at the center of Is Isabella's individual identity as a young, unmarried woman. The young Isabella's dependence on her father, as reflected in Coelho's full-length portrait of the princess, shifted when Philip II approved the union between his daughter and his cousin, Albrecht of Austria, in 1597. To relieve some of the burdens of ruling Spain's vast empire, King Philip II ceded the Spanish Netherlands to his daughter and nephew. With the 1598 Act of Cession, the Spanish king gifted the Low Countries to Isabella as a dowry, thereby removing his authority and direct claim to the Low Countries. By gifting these vast territories to his daughter, the king ensured Isabella the rank of a sovereign ruler, which invested an unprecedented degree of power in a Habsburg woman. The significant transfer of power reflects the king's due trust in his daughter's governing abilities. And we have records that indicate that Isabella had been advising her father on what reply he should be giving to state papers from a young age. Upon their official union, the king had set high expectations for the new couple. 
Philip II hoped, hoped that the marriage between Isabella and Albrecht would not only renew the ties between the Austrian and Spanish branches of the Habsburg family, but also restore peace in the 17 provinces. Finally, the king expected the couple to reinstall Catholicism in the Spanish Netherlands, ease Flemish anti-Spanish sentiments, and produce a male heir. Here, it is really important to note an imbalance of power between Isabella and her husband. Prior to the official union, King Philip II stipulated that if the couple failed to produce a male heir, Isabella's family, so the Spanish branch of the Habsburg family, would receive the territories instead of Albert's Austrian branch of the Habsburg family. King Philip implemented this strategic condition to retain exclusive Spanish power over these low countries. And so according to this clause, the king actually invested more authority within Isabella than Albert, who seemed to fulfill a mere accessory role to Isabella's sovereignty over the Spanish Netherlands. It's also important to note that the Archduke Albert never got the extremely powerful title of Duke of Burgundy, which is actually normally given to the male regent of the Low Countries. And as a result of the imbalance of authority between the Archduke and the Archduchess, the more powerful Isabella was paid distinctive and separate attention as a female ruler, and not just as the Archduke's spouse. So let's look at the couple's public image, how they were seen. Did artists pick up on the power imbalance between the Archduchess and the Archduke? Was this lack of power for the Archduke, was this noticed and was this translated onto the canvas? So let's look at that. So I invite you to look at a painting of the couple. It's a pendant portrait painted shortly after the couple got married, and it's painted by a highly sought-after court painter called Franz Porbu the Younger. And it was painted shortly after the couple's triumphal entry into Antwerp and taking their seat at the court in Brussels in 1599. And so this, this set of pendant portraits provides a very valuable insight into how Isabella aimed to craft a public image for herself that was independent from her husband. So let's look at these portraits. What do you see? Does the couple seem to be portrayed as equals? And per the first impression of the artwork, I'd say so, yes they do seem to present themselves as equal sovereigns. The pendant portrait symmetry, established by the fashionable lace collars and highly ornate dress, for example, evokes a strong sense of equality between the Archduchess and the Archduke. Furthermore, the Archduchess's dress, her puffed sleeves and lace collar, which is slightly wider than her husband's, add a distinct weight to her physical presence that is very similar to the way in which the Archduke's impressive armor fills and dominates his portrait. 
As Isabella and Albert's individual physical presence convey an equal weight, the pen and portrait seems to demonstrate that they exert the same authority over their territories as co-sovereigns. Upon a closer examination, however, Isabella's image conveys a slightly stronger and more convincing authority. And while Prabhu depicts Albert of Austria as a traditional nobleman, adorned with a lace collar, decorated armor, and heavy necklace, Isabella's image strongly emphasizes a royal high status. Her elaborate headdress, decorated with pearls and precious gems, highlight her identity as a princess and quietly hints at the discrepancy of authority between the Archduke and the Archduchess. Interestingly, Albert of Austria, the son of the Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian II, had a rightful claim to a significant degree of power due to his lineage. Nevertheless, Porbu depicts Albert of Austria as a rather mediocre traditional nobleman rather than a direct descendant of the Holy Roman Emperor. A similar method of representing the couple can be found in Peter Paul Rubens' portrait of the couple. Painted around 1615, Rubens' version of the subject follows Porbu's strategy and endows the Archduke and Archduchess with an equal weight and gravitas. But again, Rubens' paint, pen and portrait portray the Archduchess Isabella with features that draw direct attention to her extended authority, such as her luxurious headdress and brooches with royal insignias, whereas Albert of Austria's image resembles that of a rather traditional nobleman. The visual representations of the Archduke and Archduchess throughout their marriage, while seemingly defying the couple as equal co-sovereigns, actually actively accentuate Isabella's greater authority. Several political factors and personal matters required Isabella to reinvent and reimagine her public image. Before the onset of Archduke's illness in 1615, the couple mainly represented themselves as co-sovereigns with only subtle and sparse references to Isabella's greater authority as we've discussed in Peter Paul Rubens's portrait of the couple and Franz Prohu the Younger's. The couple's self-representation as equals changed in the year that the Archduke got very sick in 1615 with a propaganda campaign that aimed to bolster Isabella's leading role independent from her husband. Between 1615 and 1621, for example, the Archduchess participated in several public festivities that really dedicated to her and celebrated her peaceful government over the Spanish Netherlands. The Archduchess increased her public appearances amongst her subjects because she feared that her husband's inevitable and fast approaching death could potentially evoke riots and revive the calls for the Low Countries' complete independence from the Spanish crown. 
Apart from the potentially disastrous consequences that could result from her husband's death, such as the loss of her political legitimacy, Archduchess Isabella feared the outbreak of violence upon the expiration of the Twelve Years' Truce, which had guaranteed peace between Spain and the United Provinces. And this truce was scheduled to expire in 1621. Additionally, her father, King Philip II, who had held her in such a high regard and invested an unprecedented degree of power within her, had died. Shortly after, Isabella's cousin Philip III inherited the crown. He developed a stressed relationship with the Infanta and was unsupportive of her plight, which also threatened Isabella's sovereignty over the Spanish Netherlands. Finally, Albert and Isabella had failed to produce any heirs, which further endangered Isabella's claim to power significantly as well. In short, the year 1621 marked the year that Isabella faced an array of both personal and political challenges she had to resolve quickly to strengthen and justify her continuous authority. To justify her claim to power, retain the love of her Flemish subjects, and appease the new Spanish king, the newly widowed Isabella called upon her dear friend and court painter, Peter Paul Rubens. When the Archduchess became a widow in 1621, Painter Peter Paul Rubens played a vital role in transforming the Archduchess's public image from the ideal royal princess to the ultimate exemplary devout widow. Archduchess Isabella and Rubens established a close working relationship since the painter received the prestigious title of the couple's court painter in 1609. The couple had even endowed Rubens with special and unusual privileges that allowed him to continue to work in his home in Antwerp, so he could continue accepting local commissions as well. While Rubens's work for the, for the couple reflected the couple's genuine desire to encourage the arts as part of the general revitalization of the country, the work the painter produced for the widowed Isabella contained a heavier political emphasis to restore Isabella's public image. As a result of the Archduke's death, King Philip IV demoted Isabella from sovereign to governor general. This demotion meant that Isabella no longer possessed constitutional executive power over the Spanish Netherlands and instead acted now as a representative of the Spanish king. And to ameliorate her new position and reclaim authority, Isabella employed Rubens to portray her as the ideal devout widow and function as her secret initiary. Both Spanish and Northern traditions expected widows to concentrate on their spiritual well-being, live a pious life, and withdraw from society. The encouragement of social reclusion, however, did not match Isabella's new position as the Governor General of the Spanish Netherlands and didn't allow for that. As political tensions rose amidst the expiration of the Twelve Years' Truce and sporadic riots unfolded across her territories, Isabella is to instrumentalize society's expected outward display of women to display piety to validate and promote her authority. 
While her leadership overstepped the social boundaries prescribed usually for widows, her visual self-representation adhered to the expectations set for widows. In 1625, for example, Rubens completed an astonishing full-length portrait of Isabella in which she represents herself as a poor Clare nun dressed in the habit of the Third Order of St. Francis. Rubens' portrayal of Isabella in this way represents the new widow's daily attire very accurately as she assumed this habit on the second day after Albert's death and wore it for the remainder of her life. By 1622, so one year after her husband died, Isabella made her profession and joined the Franciscan Territory Order while still functioning as the secular governor general. In this portrait, Isabella displays an attitude of self-containment through her kindly, authoritative, and perceptive eyes. Isabella's heightened expression of calm and composure aligns with a traditional view that widowhood implies old age, which is in turn often associated with one's ability to impart wisdom. It is important to note that Isabella commissioned this portrait, the first official portrait to depict her in her new role as governor general, to celebrate her military victory at Breda as well. And so in this portrait, she confidently embraces her dedication to her role as a defender of the faith to justify her continuous agency and authority within the Spanish Netherlands, even as a widow without an heir. In other words, Isabella employs her widowhood as a political capital to legitimize her authority and her new self-representation and military successes received recognition. Pope Urban VIII, for example, viewed Isabella's successes at Breda as ordained by God and even declared that Isabella had clearly served as a divine instrument for the Spanish triumph. The, Pope public's, the Pope's public praise for Isabella's accomplishments in both her religious and military endeavors confirmed that Isabella's strategy of embracing her new status as widow and defender of the faith strengthened her claim to power. In addition to Isabella's successful redefinition of her claim to power when she became a widow, the Infanta employed her participation in the long-standing Habsburg tradition of female material culture to gain political favors and solidify alliances. The peak of Isabella's spending occurred in 1621, the exact year which exposed Isabella's precarious political position. And to ameliorate her circumstances, Isabella presented, donated, and gifted at least 350,000 florins worth of sculpture, paintings, relics, jewels, and more to princes, prelates, and priests alike. While her ostentatious spending may not necessarily align with her new outward representation of piety as a nun, her religious commissions exemplified her formidable character as a defender of the faith. Described as her greatest act of patronage, Isabella commissioned and donated a series of tapestries to her Aunt Joannes of Austria's convent, the Descalzas Reales, in Madrid. 
This commission, designed by her trusted friend and painter Rubens, represents Isabella's eloquent expression of the power of art in service of the Catholic Church and makes a direct reference to her female ancestors' instrumentalization of art to craft and solidify empowerment and agency. Continuing the legacy of her aunt, who herself wielded a significant amount of power by commissioning the construction of the convent, Isabella's donation to the convent strengthened her public image as the ideal widow who had devoted her life to a religious plight. The donation itself is extremely remarkable, not only because of its extremely high cost, but also because of Isabella's appearance in the scene of the Defenders of the Eucharist. So in one of the tapestries in this scene, Rubens depict um, St. Clare of Assisi, the patron saint of the Descalzas Reales, with Isabella's mature features. So Rubens made the patron saint look like Isabella. Additionally, Rubens positions Isabella's likeness next to Solomon, an influential spiritual leader from the Old Testament, and this composition evokes a political implication regarding Isabella's authority, so by positioning Isabella near Solomon, Rubens aligns the Infanta with a venerable past and metaphorically announces her suitability to govern the Spanish Netherlands. So, as she represents herself as a quasi-equal to the old leader Solomon, Isabella expresses unwavering confidence in her spiritual authority as a pious nun, as well in her capacity to be a secular ruler of the Spanish Netherlands, even as a widow. So despite the many challenges she faced due to her constantly changing titles resulting from the significant life changes she underwent, Isabella Clara Eugenia consistently relied upon the power of art to assert, legitimize, and reclaim her political authority. Her continuous instrumentalization of art to reinvent her public image and solidify alliances proved to be successful and provided Isabella with favorable outcomes. Often praised for showing a manly spirit and a resolution even greater than the Archduke by her contemporaries, Isabella's strong leadership and strategic patronage adorned the Infanta with a significant legacy. She not only perpetuated the power-wielding female culture within the Habsburg family, she also set an important new precedent for women's legitimization of claim to power, despite their childless widowhood. Finally, the history of Isabella's strategic patronage and self-representation provides invaluable evidence of how Habsburg women employed art to circumvent the traditional barriers to power imposed on their sex. We have now reached the end of our episode on Isabella Clara Eugenia, Women as Patrons of the Arts. I want to thank you very much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it interesting. 
and we'll see you next time. I hope you have a great day. Take care and we'll see you next time. Bye.